Welcome to the New Stories Podcast, Season 2. I am especially proud, and I use that word intentionally this month, to bring this episode of our podcast to you. And I am Rodney Glasgow, head of school at Sandy Spring Friends School, use he, him, his pronouns, and I'm a gender non-conforming male. And I wanted to start the introductions that way, just because I feel like, especially for the content we're talking about today, just even the way you introduce yourself has some implications for the conversation that we're gonna have. So as our folks who are students and teachers and parents of our community introduce themselves, they'll do the same. Hello, I am Carmel and I use they, them pronouns. Me and Twig have, well, we are a part of this thing called the they, them cult. Very fun. I'm in eighth grade, going to ninth since I graduated, and I've been here for like one year. I just got here. My name is Twig. I use they/them pronouns. I just got here three years ago. Good morning. I'm Kristen Amori. I teach eighth grade here at Sandy Spring, and I'm the middle school gender and sexuality alliance mentor adult, right? And I use she pronouns. Hey everybody, I'm Erin Uritas. I use she, her pronouns. I am the proud mother of a Sandy Spring, soon to be fifth and seventh grader. One of them is gender fluid. And I'm also the CEO of an organization called Out and Equal Workplace Advocates. And we help support organizations who are going to be hiring all of the kids that come out of this wonderful schools. Awesome. Well, we are excited and, and folks on the podcast can't see us, but we're sort of prided out over here in, <laughs> in our Zoom. Twig has the flag framing the square and I've got the nails going on and Kristen has, is that a magnet? <laughs> some Legos. I'm, I like to play with some Legos while I'm on Zoom. So, <laughs> so we love it. And a spin wheel. It is the time for it. So as we think about this Pride Month and all that goes into this LGBTQ plus box, I think I want to start with just some level setting about the acronym and what's included under the acronym LGBTQ and especially the plus. And I wonder if someone will queue up just so we know the identities we're holding this morning. Who are we including in this conversation? I'm non-binary and lesbian. And I'm very, very queer. I'm non-binary, pansexual, and gender fluid. I am pansexual, bisexual, and queer. And I realized a few years ago, after having lived overseas for a while and coming back into a really rapidly evolving LGBTQ culture and therefore acronyms, that I could actually claim many if I wanted. I actually said to my staff, can I say more than one? And they said, yes, you can. <laughs> Just for the audience who's listening, some folks, and it's all right, as some folks say that the Q stands for queer, and some folks say that the Q represents questioning. I think with a plus at the end, Rodney, it's such a beautiful umbrella where really everybody is accepted who is somewhere on the spectrum, which is really amazing. Mm. I want to focus in on this word queer for a minute because I'm struck by the generations that are on this podcast with us today and coming from actually with Karma yesterday down at the Montgomery Parks building and they talked some about the history of pride and the history of words 
And, and queer was a word that began with sort of a controversial and maybe even a negative history in this community and now has been reclaimed. And I wonder, can we talk about when we say queer today versus when we said queer in 1947? <laughs> what do we mean today when we say queer? For my generation and, and group of queer folks, it's a, an umbrella term. And so it can mean anything in that LGBTQIA plus realm. And I, I do think that if you came up before now, right? If you, if you are in my generation or before, there are certain terms that were tough because they did have some stigma attached. So queer in my world is a, is a really nice place to sit because it could be anything and it does have this positive connotation and it is very inclusive. I know for karma and twig, it might have a slightly different meaning. And I'd be curious about their interpretations of it. But in my world, it's this lovely umbrella inclusive world. Usually queer is used as a sexuality term and as an umbrella sexuality term. And then there's also gender queer for more of a gendered using. But a while ago, it was used mostly as just like a slur for the whole LGBTQ community and gay people. And it wasn't a, of a very good connotation. Mm. So Aaron, I want you to put your activist hat on and talk to us about, can you reclaim a word? Can a word that used to be launched at you to hurt you become the word you use to embrace yourself? Well, it can because it has been, right? It has been historically in ways that ultimately are really powerful because these words that were the things ringing in people's ears and still are, frankly, sometimes, and you know, in some places for sure, is what's being yelled at you. It's attached to memories and it's painful. But I think the reclaiming piece is important, Rani, for, for a couple of reasons. I mean, one is just the act of, of agency and stepping into a really positive place for individuals. It's also a way people find each other, right? I think Rodney, and maybe this is Kristen, and I'm not sure if Rodney, this is your experience as well, but in the 90s coming out, labels were really punitive within the LGBTQ community as well. And so labels and identity, it was like, you're not, if you're bi-identified, you're really not lesbian enough. When people reclaim words, it's a way we find each other and really solidify our community, but in ways that are really creative. And now when I came back from overseas and I watched young people in particular playing with labels, right? Or discarding them or being fluid with them, my brain just exploded and so did my heart. I was like, I can't believe this. This is not my experience. It's just been a real joy to watch. Mm -hmm. Calling out that notion of fluid as a label, right? Where certainly my experience was in the 90s, folks were clamoring for a single label that could encompass them. And now we're looking for more expansive labels, right? That can shift and move depending on how we want to wear them. And it is an interesting time for that. I believe that some words can be reclaimed and then there are those that have been used as such derogatory terms that I don't feel like people should have to hear them, specifically the older people from our generation. Like, I don't believe that the F slur should ever be reclaimed or used by us because it has such negative connotations to those 
of like the older generations of queers and even the newers. I have a straight friend who went to a new school and was immediately called the F slur for having long hair. Well, I love karma that you're bringing us to. Some words you can reclaim and some you just leave. <laughs> some you just leave right where they are. As we're in this generational space, I'm also thinking about you know, karma and twig as eighth and ninth graders. And back in, and maybe in our day, if you were in eighth and ninth grade and you vehemently declared your sexual orientation or even your gender identity, someone might tell you it's a phase or you're too young to know that yet. And so I wonder, Karma and Twig, if y'all could talk to us about when and how did you know for sure this is who I am in this moment and I wanna claim it? Because I, I think some folks are trying to figure out how soon is too soon to know these big questions about your gender and sexual identity. I personally think that it differs for everyone because there are kids out there that know they're trans as soon as they can voice it. It's amazing to me how people can be like, hey, yo, I'm not this gender and be able to change that immediately with supporting families and more accepting world. I myself realized kind of young, I have this vivid memory of kissing my preschool best friend who was female. I don't know if it actually happened. I've been told it hadn't but I have this vivid memory of it. And whenever I had a quote unquote crush on a boy, it was always because he looked like a girl. It was always the girly boys. And it just eventually transferred to being girls. And I remember I had this really embarrassing, in quotations again, crush on my straight best friend, but it wasn't ever actually, it was just the ideology that as a lesbian, I should have a crush on one friend at least. In gender non-binary, as soon as I kind of heard of it, my first experience finding pronouns other than he and she was in the book, The 57 Bus, which is an incredibly moving piece in and of itself, but it also can teach other people that there are other norms besides she or her or he or him. And it's like really important important to me that kids can learn this from a young age. Like if I had control of what we were teaching kids, I would have a gender and sexuality course in like elementary school too, just so kids could grow up knowing that there were other options. I never heard the word lesbian until I was in fourth grade and didn't know what it meant then. I legitimately thought that it was a place and look at me now. I love that karma and you're reminding me and us of the importance of even having the language, right? There's one thing of knowing how you feel and knowing who you are and trying to figure it out. But if you hadn't encountered the words or the language, then how do you even articulate yourself? I think that is one of the things that we've come to admire about this generation is y'all's focus on having the words to describe what it is you're feeling on this identity level. Yeah. When I heard it, they were slurring it at a girl who liked to hug me a lot. And she eventually was bullied so badly for it that she had to change schools. So it always was sort of negative connotations with me until I got to sixth grade and actually found out what it was. And I was like, oh, that's me. And mm. I'm like, wow, we were such a supportive and friendly elementary school. Can you feel the sarcasm? And yet someone had to leave for being bullied about that. Well, I'm thinking about Kristen there, and you all work with this generation. And what are you seeing of this generation of students in general and our LGBTQ plus students that's a little different from the generations we've seen before them? Great question. I was just thinking about that as my students were speaking. Adolescence is 
has always been, will always be a time when we figure out who we are and what makes us us and we question things and, and are figuring everything out. What happens when kids share their identities is that they have the words for it and they're feeling safe enough or brave enough to do so. And I'm seeing the vocabulary that students have to describe who they are in this realm and in other ones is just a lot more expansive than where I went to school and where I grew up in a lot of ways. And then there is just, I think for me, at least I work with a lot of soul searching students and I will work with a lot of really brave kids who are ready to share about who they are and what makes them particularly them. And some of this soul searching stuff might be coming out of the pandemic. It might just be, I work with awesome kids. It might be a lot of different things, but I think adolescence does lend itself to that, that time of soul searching and what comes out of it. If things like an identity that you as an adult weren't expecting comes out of it, it might mean that you've created this really safe and awesome place for the students or the kids that, that you work with, that they feel brave enough to, to share that with you. Yeah, I love this question because there, there's so much to it. I'm going to try to be really brief, but I think it's important, Ronnie, to put your question into the context, at least in my world, of what's happening with organizations that kids are coming into, because that's that's my perch. And we're all kind of swimming in this emerging focus on cultures of belonging an understanding identity and then intersectionality, which is not just identity uniqueness, but the compounded effects of when we carry multiple identities and organizations who have invested a lot in people, in diversity and inclusion initiatives, if they get rated highly, but people's individual experiences of coming out like if that's still not possible, we have to ask ourselves is if it really matters, right? So that's kind of the cultural context we're swimming in. And then Rodney, there's just literally the sheer numbers. When you look at, there's a Gallup poll that came out a year ago, but more and more research is being done. And I don't need to tell all of you because you are living and breathing this at the school level, but the numbers between even millennials and Gen Z of kids who identify as LGBTQ has exploded. It has completely exploded. And so therefore, your question about how are we seeing this? I mean, what we're seeing is young people who are claiming not just out in hopefully, but then being in organizations that are demanding an active voice, right? I think since Parkland happened in 2018, we saw a wider cultural explosion of people demanding that companies values or organizations like that they are aligned with their values. And they're seeing from the top down and bottom up people being in organizations and then speaking up for broader social change or they're speaking up for policies in ways they never did before. It's like this wild west of organizations who are competing for, for talent and you know for young people's attention, frankly, and at least really trying hard to build cultures that can accommodate this beautiful kind of evolution of how young people are demanding from their workplaces that they, they feel welcome and that they belong. I know that was a lot. I'm sorry. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, it put me in the mindset to ask Karma and Twig. And as you were talking about Folks are speaking up about what they need in the workplace to feel this sense of belonging and to feel that they can bring their full selves, which we know increases their capacity at productivity and work output. And when you feel a sense of belonging, 
you simply do better in that space. So I, I wonder, Karma and Twig, if y'all will talk with us about Sandy Spring Friends School and what's your assessment on your sense of belonging here and what does a school do to make our LGBTQ plus kids feel a sense of belonging? Well, I think the main factor in making LGBTQ plus community members feel belong to a school is the students. Because if there's already a lot of students there who accept others, then that's going to make the most change. But then there's also teachers and like name changes, pronoun changes, the teachers have to respect that. And if they don't, that can really ruin the community there. The GSA is another great place. Uh, or that may not be what it's called in different places. Like I know that in the upper school, it's called Saga. I heard from a student up there in that because I talked to the student they're like, oh, you're non-binary. Oh, I'm non-binary. Okay. And then we had a lovely conversation off of that. But I heard that Saga split because they wanted a sexuality alliance and a gender alliance because of COVID. But I'm hoping that when we get there, we can maybe repair that somewhat. So we have a wonderful place for all of our upper school students and even some middle if they want to talk with us again, that they can feel like they belong and they can talk about different things that they may not be able to talk about with other friends or just have a place that they can truly be themselves. The importance of that affinity group setting and that visibility, I heard y'all both talk about seeing people who reflect us and also knowing that people who may not fully understand our experience still embrace it, that those are key parts and having that affinity space and Karma, you got us to an important place that makes me put out like an all call question, because I think it's a big one, which is we began talking about how big this box LGBTQ plus is. And Karma's reminded us that it holds both gender identity and sexual identity in the same box. Do they belong in the same place? Are they part and parcel of the same conversation? And what are the differences between gender identity and what we need to consider there and sexual identity and what we need to consider there. So for me, they're very intertwined because I don't identify as male or female. I identify as non-binary, which means I use they, them pronouns and don't like to be put into any specific box. Since I identify as non-binary, whatever gender I like is considered gay, which I find amazing because the specific terms of a sexuality is like lesbian is a non-male loving a non-male. I could even switch that around if I wanted to and go the other way, but I'm not gonna. So to me, it is very interconnected because of my pronouns. So if I use he, him, or she, her, it would be more of a separate thing to me, I believe. But with my pronouns as my gender identity and my sexuality, I think that they're more interconnected than they may be for some other people. I think too, when we, when we think about the middle school age group, in particular, having them together does have its benefits. And when you talk about a gender and sexuality alliance being a place for us to come together, because middle schoolers are figuring out who they are and you don't need to settle in quite yet to being, I'm just here for the gender conversations. I'm just here for the sexuality conversations. I'm here as an ally. Like you don't need to choose any boxes right now. You can come and talk about the issues, even if you are there in a place as an ally. So having that open door at this age, I think is, is appropriate. And Ronnie, if I can speak to this, because in addition to the things I mentioned about myself, I also sit on the LGBTQ affinity group for parents here at Sandy Spring. And in that group even, and I think it cuts across 
all identities and all organizations is this need for finding belonging amongst people like you, which is why it's okay to have splits and to have communities evolve and people find that support. And then there's, when we all come together, our ability to help educate others, especially who are coming to seek our support. So I happen to be queer pan identified and I'm the parent of an LGBTQ kid. And so sometimes we have parents come to the LGBTQ affinity parents group who are allies and who want to understand more. So we kind of gladly welcome people because I think we feel it's a privilege to help educate and be a sense of support. And also when we meet as queer people together and share common experiences, that is beautiful. I think it all exists and there's different roles and that should be okay. So we can't be in this conversation and not acknowledge the political context in which we're having it at this particular time. And we're watching school boards and state legislatures so turn back the conversations that at least in the public schools for now are allowed to have about LGBTQ, thinking about the don't say gay bill and all that sort of stuff. What are we feeling about the political landscape around LGBTQ and its place in schools right now? How does it feel in this moment to enter Pride Month and to have all of that on the table in our schools? I know that I feel like all the changes that different movements have put forward is being slowly stripped back by America and the rules and laws and regulations that some jerkwads that are sitting in a high political place are taking away from us. They get power over what we do because they're white, cis, straight men sitting up there deciding what others that aren't like them can do with their lives. I did a social change art piece on this for a class for Terrell, social activism, very good class, highly recommend it. And just, you don't realize how much is being taken away from you until you really look at it. People aren't allowed to get the help that they need to be like their like gender identity that they want to be. And another thing that people aren't getting help for is like abortions and stuff. There's going to be such a higher death rate from failed, like bad abortions. Since we don't have safe ones, there are going to be so many people, more people dying from that. And kids that don't get gender affirming care young, they're going to develop. And then they're going to be so sad that they couldn't get the hormone changes or the gender surgeries that they needed when they were kids because the laws passed to stop them from being themselves. I was talking about how amazing it is that kids can know that they're trans when they're young earlier. And the fact that even if they did know, they wouldn't be able to do anything to become their proper self or to be, or like physically be or emotionally be their proper gender. It's just awful. There's like no other way to describe it. And there are so many different things that are being pushed back. Like you can't help but think, is same-sex marriage is gonna go next? What else can they take? Oh, sorry to be a downer. No, <laughs> no, we just needed to breathe that in for a minute, right? Yeah, it's not a downer karma. I think what's so beautiful, especially as a parent of kids in this organization in Sandy Spring, is that you are learning and living and breathing and hopefully becoming stronger to help us be in this fight as you all get older, because there is, I hope, I'm feeling it and I'm hoping it gets even stronger, a consolidation across social justice movements, because what karma has put out there and raising up 
all these other issues is that there is a lot of overlap when people's rights and identities and things like governments and policies, especially at the state level now, kids' bodies, people's bodies are up for play and that cuts across movements. And so I think the fact that your students understand that and are part of the fight now is just, it's really encouraging to me as a parent. Mm. One of the things there, and you mentioned parents, that I'm thinking is behind some of this pushback in legislation is classic fear and fear of what would happen if, as Karma said, people could know as early as they could know that they are trans or non-binary or LGBT, right? And were able to express that as early as, as early as they could go to school, as early as they could talk, they could language that I am not the norm that you thought I was going to be. And I think that drives the pushback in legislation. And so it makes me ask the question of, as this generation of parents raise a generation of students who are very different <laughs> from them and have a much more expansive idea of identity period, but especially gender identity and sexual identity, what are some of those fears that parents may be harboring that they'll need to let go if they're gonna really usher their students into a fuller adulthood than perhaps was even possible for their generation? Yeah. Gosh, it's a million dollar question, right? I wanna speak about fear on two levels. And by the way, I think you nailed it. I really do think it comes down to that. But before I jump into parents' typical fear around LGBTQ kids, I wanna pull back Rodney to the moment we're living in is a wider fear and desire parents to exercise control in a time of COVID when we saw the context of vaccines and masks and all of this, right? So, and you all are living and breathing this. But I think that as we became a culture of deep fear during COVID, there was other things that were able to take root. And so the fear typically for parents who have LGBTQ kids questioning or coming out, and they are real, so I want to speak to them. One is that parents are afraid that their kids' experience in school will be one like some of our kids today have talked about or remember, which is that they're going to be bullied, that they're not going to have friends. I think beyond that, as parents, and I resonate with this, you want to know that your kid will find love hmm. and, and that they will be able to work flat out, it comes down to, is my kid, if they come out or if they have rainbow hair, if they use they, them pronouns, are they going to be able to live and support themselves and be part of society? And the answer, I really want to speak to parents directly. The answer is yes, on both fronts. Kids are being out and being authentic is not just kids. It's the wider world we're swimming in of this push for being able to be authentic and it is beautiful and they are finding each other and there's schools like Sandy Spring that are helping people find not just love, but friendships like in their social life. And then finally, I think I represent a organization that works with literally thousands and thousands of companies and nonprofits and industry groups where they are working really, really hard to build inclusive workplaces and whether or not, I believe it is both that they think it's the right thing to do but mm -hmm. also they want and they need kids to want to work for them. So I just want to tell parents, hang in there, ask questions. It is okay to make mistakes around pronouns. It is okay to feel uncomfortable, but I just really encourage you to be in dialogue with your wonderful kids. And there's lots of groups out there, ours, PFLAG, Gender Cool, 
who help and provide a space for support. Mm. It's that adage, right? Raise your kids for the world that they will live in, not for the world you lived in. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Yes. <laughs> On target for sure. This summer, I'm going to be at the beach all summer because we have a beach house there and my sister's working already. And I, last summer and the summer before that, I was really bored. I was just sitting in my room all summer because I really don't like the beach. So this summer I thought, okay, I'm going to get a job. So I went into town and I applied to a bunch of places and there's this one place. I walked in there and it smelled like candles because I mean, it is a gift shop at the beach. And I handed her my resume after I filled out all the questions. I came back and she brought me to the back and she said, I want you to work here. And she knows that I'm non-binary and gender fluid. That wasn't really an issue. It was just instantly, I want you here. It's your choice if you want to be here. Mm. So I said yes. And I start work a six hour a day, four to five days a week. And I'm really excited because I finally have something to do. But it's also really awesome that I can just work somewhere. There wasn't a problem with gender or sexuality or anything. But I'm also concerned about other places where that's not going to happen. Right. I love that both of those messages, right? Find something productive to do this summer and be yourself (laughs) while you do it. (laughs) You know, Kristen, as the teachers are listening to this from our school and maybe even from other schools, we know it's Pride Month and we're centering allyship. What's something teachers can do to be allies to their students on this? Positioning yourself as a learner, because we are all learning from our students, is a huge thing that teachers can do. Like Aaron was mentioning, it's okay to make a mistake. You can make a mistake with a pronoun quickly correct. Don't make it about yourself and move on and work to be better next time. You can ask students about what pronouns they want to use. You can ask them whether they use them in all contexts or if it's better to keep certain pronouns for your classroom and they're a different place with coming out with their family, just know where they are in different things. And to respect that students are changing. We talked about fluidity earlier and, sorry. (laughs) And that is legitimate and something to respect and support them in as well. So sending out love and recognizing that you are human and continuing to grow with your students, you don't need to know everything but you do need to be a source of love and support as an educator. I think that's why we work with young people is because we wanna help them grow. And it's a different part of who they are and what they bring to the table. And I learn a ton from my students in GSA and in my algebra classes every day. Mm-hmm. And I'm a member of the queer community and I'm still learning even, even mm. though I come with more knowledge than some other teachers. Well, that school bell that we heard means <laughs> that we've got to get to the next class. But friends, I'm so glad we had this opportunity to be together as friends and as community and to talk this month as we do all the time here at Sandy Spring Friends about the importance of pride in oneself and the importance of allyship. And I'm walking away. That bell reminded me of perhaps something we want to leave everybody who's listening with is Everything that we've talked about today, the beauty of it, the complications of it, how students carry that and they go to math class and history class and sports, right? And they got the stuff they do after school. And so this month, especially be mindful of our young folks who are LGBTQ plus 
and have a little bit more in their backpacks to carry than some students who don't share those identities and what it means to have to bring that into school, into home. I'm thinking about those kids who reached out and were saying, I'm at home in COVID and school was my safe place where I could be myself. Or I'm at home in COVID and thank goodness because school was not my safe place where I could be myself. And to imagine that you have to choose. I don't think that school wouldn't be a safe place for anyone here at Sandy Spring Friends School. And I think that's a really big achievement. Really glad about how progressive we are. And if the straight people take away one thing from Pride Month, I want it to be that we are human too. And we just like different people Mm. than you do. I love that karma. And you're right. And in honor of a school that could even have this podcast and pull so many parts of our community together to talk about this has been really great. I'm really proud of it. Trying to come out and like knowing that you are something and you have to come out is really stressful and added on the stress of like school or anything else because it's one of the most stressful times ever for kids. It's really hard. So you have to one, like accommodate for that and manage your stress and you have to find ways to get rid of it. Mm-hmm. I love that, Aaron. I think it wouldn't be an LGBTQ podcast if we didn't put Ellen in the room, Ellen DeGeneres. <laughs> so I'm going to end my piece here, first of all, by also saying thank you. I agree with everything everybody said. I'm really proud to be here. I'm proud and excited to have my kids here. But just on what you just said, Twig, I want to say that, you know, Ellen, who came out in the 90s, the same year I did, and has served as such an icon for many of us at a certain age just ended her show after 19 years. And the way she ended the show was by saying exactly Twig what you just said. If people are brave enough to come out as themselves, be brave enough to support them, full Mm -hmm. stop. And it's such a beautiful kind Mm. of way to center people and reframe, I think how allies think about supporting us. So I love that you said that. Thank you, Twig. You know, I appreciate where we landed as we wrap up. Schools are so critically important to the lives and sustainability of our young people. The pandemic taught us that for sure. And for our LGBTQ plus kids, it's even more important that we do our work to make schools not just safe spaces, because to me, a safe space is like the bar, right? You want to go above that. You want to be joyful spaces, brave spaces, whole spaces, spaces of belonging, for our students. And then we can stand back and watch what these young folks, like I'll be watching who Karma and Twig become because they went to a place where they could be themselves from the very beginning. And that absolutely will change the outcome. Thank y'all. I feel like I may need to write some a few late notes <laughs> for class. I'm happy to do that. <laughs> and thank y'all for this and happy pride. Thank you, thank you all for pulling this together. It was amazing. and. Twig and Karma, good to meet you all. And Kristen, thanks, Rodney, for what you're doing. It's amazing. Pleasure to be part of it. Happy Pride. (laughs) Awesome. Bye, friends. Bye, everybody. See ya. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the New Stories Podcast. 